The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to episode 30 of the Keeper Cut podcast. We've reached the big 3-0. I wasn't always sure we were going to make it here, Pete, but we did it. We did it. We did it. In our first season, we are at the big 3-0. It's a big deal. Right. That's right. And we're going to celebrate by introducing everyone to some interesting work you've been doing. Something you just shared with me recently that I think is I think is pretty cool and I think it it's worth talking about and it's 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 new and so I think it's you know, a little bit of a work in progress, it sounds like, but it's a super cool concept. Seems pretty useful. And so I think we're going to dive right into that. And so you've been the pitcher guy on the Keeper Cut podcast <laughs> from the beginning. And looks like you're looking at some some new ways to evaluate pitchers, think about pitchers, rank pitchers. Yeah. So this really came from because, you know, I, I have that shtick as the pitcher guy because I was so in on drafting pitching early this year and in some leagues it's worked great in other leagues it's been a disaster obviously it depends on the specific players i've gotten but it's made me realize like if i could find effective values late obviously it would make drafting that much easier but it's just so hard with pitchers with hitters i feel like i can always figure it out but with pitchers i feel like i can't and so i took the three stats that i find that the three stats that i look at immediately for pitchers in determining on whether I, I want to buy in on them or not. And I kind of combined it into some new stat. What was it that made you decide you need to combine these into like some single, sing, single number, right? You got three numbers. Why not just look at the three numbers? <laughs> that's, a, that's a totally fair question. I, I was having a hard time and I, and I still am because I think this stat is kind of a work in progress weighing how I want to evaluate these three stats. So the three stats are strikeout percentage, walk percentage, and ground ball percentage. And I, to me, those are like the three most important things for pitchers. And we'll talk about the the pros and cons of that. But I wanted to come up with something that I could use for myself to kind of determine since I find these three stats to be the most important, like how can I compare a guy who has an elite strikeout rate but a poor ground ball rate against a guy that has a really strong ground ball rate but not that great of a strikeout rate and and find a way by including their walk percentage to kind of weigh them against each other without just saying like all right, well, he's above average ground ball He's above average strikeout, but this guy's got a better walk rate, so let me use him. And I'm trying to come up with a way to weigh those three things somewhat equally to come up with a list of players that I feel comfortable moving forward with. So before we dive into you know, how equally and why you're weighting them the way you are, what is it about those three stats? I mean, 
we've got, you know, you can go look at FIP, you can go look at Sierra, you can look at strikeout minus walk percentage, you can look at CSW, like there's a million stats out there. What is it about those three, about strikeout rate, walk rate, and ground ball rate that stand out to you? For me, and, and um, I don't want to come across as like backwards or Neanderthal or anything like that, but it's the simplicity of it. I've had this problem the the deeper and deeper I get into fantasy baseball over this, these 15 years, the more I tend to overcomplicate things. And I'm, I'm not trying to discredit those amazing stats. And some of them are pretty simple, right? Like CSW. I know I'm not saying it's a simple, it was an awesome idea, but the, the basics behind it are kind of straightforward. And I like that. I like the straightforward stats because I think sometimes we lose sight of the fact that like, you know, this guy can have a whatever stat, but at the end of the day, we count runs, home runs, RBI, stolen base, batting average. And so I'm trying to look at the most concrete numbers I can to determine you know, who I want to to kind of move forward with. And I thought ground ball percentage, I think that's probably the one that sticks out, right? Because strikeout rate, walk rate, we've said them all the time. And it's not that like I'm some genius for including ground ball rate. We all look at ground ball rate, but first of all, I don't think it's appreciated as much as it should be. I think we're seeing guys last year, Framber Valdez, this year, Logan Webb, with these elite ground ball rates really blossom into not just good starting pitchers, but like high-end starting pitchers. And so I wanted to start appreciate ground ball rate that much more. And I think to me, if you're the type of pitcher and to me, like Luis Castillo is really like the dream pitcher who can combine an elite ground ball rate with an elite strikeout rate, like, man, that's what more could you ask for out of a starting pitcher? Ground ball rate. I mean, it's, it's by far, as you said, the least cited of those three stats, my my sense is, and I'll be honest, I, I could be totally wrong about this, but my sense is that it's not very stable year to year. Have you looked at that at all? It depends on, uh, to answer your question, no, but it, it really depends on the arsenal of the pitchers. I mean, obviously, you know, your sinker ball pitchers are going to get the ball on the ground more. Luis Castillo, who I mentioned earlier, has got that change up that, you know, last second goes right into the dirt. And so guys are flailing at it, hitting it on the ground, it's two seamers, same thing. And I mean, it's again, I'm going to keep coming back down to the word simple and I encourage our listeners to not just write me off as as Neanderthal for that. But like you're not hitting the ball out of the park if you hit it on the ground. And as home runs continue to continue to increase, those guys who are really good at getting hitters to swing at the ball and put it in the dirt are more valuable. So to answer your question, no, I haven't on a on a case by case basis looked at it, but I know that a lot of those names and, and Framber Valdez definitely sticks out their ground ball rate is elite and it's always been elite. And I think it's going to, it's going to stay there. That makes sense. And I, and I think that, I mean, it obviously has real value, right? The big thing about ground ball rate is that while ground balls have a higher BABIP on average than fly balls, the ground balls that turn into hits usually turn into singles. You know, sometimes you get a ground ball down the line, gets into the corner, turns into bigger, but no one's ever hit a ground ball for a home run. To get inside the park home run, so maybe not no one. Plenty Very of little leaguers have Chad, <laughs> as I'm my, sure you, you know. know. My, my son hit his first little league home run this year, and it was a grounder that got between <laughs> the first and second baseman, went all the way to the wall. And Julian's got wheels, so he he got around. That's awesome. It, but that is awesome. Yeah. Regardless of that, <laughs> aside from little league, you don't hit ground balls for home runs, and so you can keep runs off the board if you keep them on the ground. And they usually they don't even turn into doubles, right? And so it gets it's real hard. I think the thing that's interesting is like if you think about what it takes to give up runs, you've got to let guys put the ball in play, right? Which is where strikeout rate comes in. 
You got to let guys get on base, which is where walk rate comes in. And then when they put it in play, they either need to hit a home run or they need to string together multiple hits. And it's much, much harder to string together three or four hits than it is to just smack one over the fence. And if the ball's in the ground, it's not going over the fence. That's a big reason why I want to include walk rate as well, right? Because if you're putting it into the hands of the hitters and the hitters can't get you in the air, then you're only going to get in trouble if you're putting guys on base. And so this is where, like, I'm not a mathematician. I did well in math throughout high school and, and in college. <laughs> now that that's like a brag, but I don't have a degree in in any kind of math field. I'm certainly not a sabermetician or, or anything close to that. So I, I, in terms of weighing these things, I had a little bit of trouble and, and we could certainly talk about that. But that's why I wanted to include walk rate because I thought it would be, you know, you can have an elite strikeout rate and you can have a pretty good ground ball rate and it still might not be that great if you're getting letting guys get on base. And, and so there's a lot of, different angles to it, but that, that's the gist of those three stats. Let's get into the weighting. You said you wanted to weight them relatively equally, but looking at the spreadsheet you sent me, they're not weighted exactly equally. Right. So how did you land on the weighting you did? And what is that weighting? Sure. So uh, basically I wanted to make sure I weighted strikeouts and walks equally, kind of view them as, as right the two extremes of a result for a pitcher that they're in control of. I noticed that because of the stat itself, and this is really where it comes into play where I'm not really you know, a mathematician, but ground ball rate was just when I originally set it up, I originally set it up as strikeout rate plus ground ball rate minus walk rate, a very simple stat. Okay. And I'm sure elite mathematicians out there are groaning, but I, again, I'm, I'm looking for simplicity. And I realized that ground ball rate because they're just generally higher right the the major league ground ball average going into today was or ground ball rate going into today was 43% the average strikeout rate was 23.4 and the average walk rate was 8.7 so just naturally the guys who had the higher ground ball rates were looking more elite according to the statistic i wanted to kind of level the playing field so it ended up basically being strikeouts times 1.5 plus ground ball rate and then subtract from that walk rate times 1.5. So walk rate and strikeout rate are still equal, but I've increased their weight a little bit so that they can kind of level off with ground ball rate. So as you said, this is sort of a work in progress. Do you think those weightings are likely to change? And if so, what direction do you think they move? Yeah, I I think they are. I think I need to boost up the strikeout rate and walk rate a little bit more. I I think something where it's a constant moving average sort of like like WRC plus or something where you take the league average of ground ball rate and whatever you have to multiply the strikeout rate by to match ground ball rate and whatever you have to multiply the walk rate by to match ground ball rate, if I'm making sense here, would, would ultimately be the best way to really get an equal view of these three statistics in the simplistic way I'm looking at them. That that's something I'd have to dig more deeply into. So you said to multiply both the strikeout rate and the walk rate to get them up near ground ball rate, but obviously walk rate, you'd need to multiply by like you know, seven or something, right? which I don't think is what you're intending to do. So I'm trying to understand, like, are you thinking like it might be more like, well, I don't even know, because it is about one and a half times strikeout rate to get you to strike to ground ball rate now, right? That's why I went with it. Yeah. Um, I, again, this, this is what I have to deep more into, uh, dig deep more deeply into, but if the league, so uh, <laughs> it's turning into like a math lesson, but like if, if you're, it was you're a teacher, so this is perfect. <laughs> I, just so everybody's clear, I am absolutely not a math teacher, but if, if it, if it yeah, did have all to teachers be, are the same, <laughs> <laughs> if oh you can teach God. history, you could teach math, right? Um, 
<laughs> sure. Well, I'll, I'll take the fifth. <laughs> You're going to try anyways. <laughs> but I guess what I'm saying is if, if we had that statistic where whatever it takes the league average walk rate, whatever you multiply the league average walk rate by to get to the league average ground ball rate, and then use that number for every single player. Like, yeah, it's it's gonna it's gonna get it to the point where according to the league average, this is how above or below that particular player is. Is that making sense? Yeah, I'm just trying to think like, does that mean you'd end up with like one point five times strikeouts, but like six times walks? Could be. It could be. Yeah. Because that could uh, overweight the walk rate? Well, no, I, in a way it's gonna view all three of these statistics as as equal because it's it's how far off they are from the league average. Got it. And do you think they're equal? Yeah, that's uh, I, no. As a fantasy player, I think I'd like to emphasize the strikeout rate, right? Sure. I guess this comes back to, and I, and I should have started, like, what am I trying to do with this statistic? And and, and what's the point? And, and why would I look at this as opposed to all just all three separately? And it's just to have one more tool in my arsenal. We can try to our defined statistics that are the end all be all. And some are very good. XFIP, I think is is great. But at the end of the day, none of these stats on their own are that valuable. And so I said, well, what's important to me when I'm evaluating pitchers for my fantasy teams? And these three came to mind. So this is going to be a more useful tool for me than, you know, each each one of them individually. Got it. Got it. That makes sense. Obviously, you've got, you know, work in progress, you got work to do, you're still making some tweaks, but you've got a first pass at this and you've got a spreadsheet that you shared that's got names ranked by this stat. Start with maybe a silly question because we're talking about major league pitchers, but who's tops in MLB in this number? So that the answer to this made me feel a little bit more comfortable because the top two names are Jacob deGrom and Corbin Burns. And the bottom name is a, an old uh, Cleveland player there in Adam Plutko. So when I, when I saw that, I was like, oh, all right, this is, this is going to be pretty useful. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty good place to start. I think if you're inventing a pitching stat and Jacob deGrom isn't first <laughs> this year, you've done it wrong and you should start yes. over. That's that's a that's an easy place to start. So that's good. So I mean looking at your list, like you said, deGrom and Burns are one and two. Then then you get into sort of the first, I think, surprises of the group. The next three are all names that I don't think people immediately think of as three of the best pitchers in baseball. One of them mostly because of his role. The other two, though, I think are are underrated for exactly the reasons you're talking about. Can you talk a little bit about those three guys? Yeah, sure. So the next names in order are Logan Webb, Jonathan Loisica, and Framber Valdez. It just so people get an idea of what this stat ends up looking like, Jacob deGrom's score, and I don't have a name for the stat yet, it was 107.15. Corbin Burns's was 95. Webb, 91.7, Loisica, 90.3, and Framber Valdez, 89.25. So those those three through five that you just mentioned are not very far from each other. And I, the common denominator, right, Chad, is, is still ground ball rate, which tells me that I do need to boost up strikeout rate and walk rate a little bit. Maybe it is fav- like DeGrom and Burns have just been so out of this world good in each of those categories that they're going to be one and two, but then it's really heavily well, maybe not too heavily, but definitely for the next three names, weighting ground ball rate more than the others. But still, like Logan Webb, Framber Valdez, and especially right Jonathan Loisica out of the bullpen, those those three names have had really strong seasons. I know Valdez has come off a little bit, but 
if those three are, are three that I guess stick out to me is like flying under the radar. Do I think those three are three of the five best pitchers in baseball? No, because like I said, the stat is not meant to be some end all be all, but it's someone who I see on this list and I say, huh, okay, well, that's interesting. So yeah, that totally makes sense. And I think it's worth noting that as you look down this list, you go through the top, boy, I don't know, the top 15-ish name, something like that. And almost all of them are either very, very close to average in strikeout rate and ground ball rate or above in both of them. There's really nobody who's meaningfully below either of those numbers in sort of the top 15. There are some guys who who are walking more than you'd expect. Guys with double-digit walk rates in the top, let's say, 20. Do you, Is that to you a sign that walk rate is not being weighted properly? Or is it a sign to you that like, look, if you're striking out a bunch of dudes and keeping the ball on the ground, walks just aren't going to hurt you that bad? Yes to both, I guess, right? I mean, I, I don't want to see a high walk rate for any of these guys. We, sure. we kind of identified where, like you said, if you have a high ground ball rate, chances are your BABIP's a little bit higher. And that's going to only cause a lot of trouble when when you're also walking guys and letting them on base. But at the same time, and this is why I kind of like the spreadsheet, because you get the cool new number, whatever that new number means, and it's going to be adjusted. But you also get to see, to me, these three super important categories lined up next to each other and kind of determine, well, how did we get to this number? And clearly, ground ball rates being weighted a little too heavily. Yeah, that makes sense. So looking at then looking at this list, you know, we talked about the top five names. Is there anyone else who stands out to you as you went through this as a guy that you were maybe a week ago not paying attention to, not thinking about, but today are targeting as a free agent? Or maybe if you've got any leagues that haven't passed their trade deadline, although we're you know, September 1st, trade deadlines are probably gone. But anyone anyone in here that you're thinking is now maybe an off-season target for you or something like that, that, that wasn't a week ago? Yeah, there's there's three names. I think one might be a little obvious. One is, I think, flying under the radar this year and, and definitely moving down people's ranks. And one, I, I think I'll be able to get in the last round if, if people don't want him. I'll start with him, and, and that's Alex Cobb. Cobb ends up 16th <laughs> on the stat. When any list where Alex Cobb is above Brandon Woodruff in Max Scherzer and, and other names, you, you probably definitely need to adjust the stat. But again, understanding that this is not meant to be some end-all be-all and there's no stat out there where you can just list all the players in order of how good they are but it does identify players who are interesting and so i thought okay well what's going on with alex cobb because you look at these three numbers that i love his strikeout rate's above average his walk rate is is above average in it in the good way i guess below average below average is the right way to put it the good his, kind of above average yes yes and his ground ball rate is is really strong at 55 percent, and so this stat is, in a way, a, a good way to identify players who have been victims of, of BABIP. Now, we just said, though, twice that BABIP also coincides with a high ground ball rate. But I think there's got to be a balance, and, and there can still be a BABIP that's high, even for a pitcher who generates a lot of ground balls. And it shows. I had no idea until I, I fooled around with this statistic that Alex Cobb's FIP is 2.62. I mean, that's crazy. And I, he was a guy with promise long. I think everybody's pretty much moved on from Alex Cobb. But like I said, all of a sudden he's now on my radar. And you look at his career ground ball rates, other than a, a little bit of a dip between 2017 and 2019, like this is this is who he is. And so if he's striking guys out and he's got a he's got a really good ground ball rate, you know, 
what else could explain his his down season compared to his underlying statistics and and the three that I identified was strand rate is 63%. Like that's this stat has brought to my attention holes in players that are not adding up, I guess is is what I'm trying to say. And I would have had no idea that Alex Cobb was struggling with, you know, leaving runners on, which is kind of out of his control and Babbitt if I didn't know that he was doing so strong in these other categories and 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 just so it said you know, yes, ground ball rates, high ground ball rates coincide with a high BABIP. He's still sporting a BABIP, a BABIP of 327 this season. His career average is 292. So even in a heavy ground ball season, that still seems a little bit out of whack. So I find him pretty interesting. Yeah, Cobb's a really interesting name. And I think for one of the things that calls out to me is like, I've been aware of Cobb this year in large part because I'm so focused on auto new and in auto new points leagues where you don't care if the guy's stranding guys, right? It's that's that's not a factor. FIP ends up being a closer measure of real value than ERA does. And and not just like I want to be clear, like I think we all understand that FIP is a better measure of how a pitcher has performed than ERA is. However, in your fantasy leagues, in a five by five fantasy league, ERA is a better measure of how they've performed for you than FIP is. Because well, FIP may tell you more about who you want for the future or something like that. If a guy's ERA is high in a five by five league, his ERA is high and he's probably not winning a lot of games. He's not going deep into games. Like everything else sort of follows from that. But what's interesting about this number to me is especially for auto new players, it strips out the stuff you don't care about. And, and so when I look at this from a, from an auto new points perspective, it's like guys who keep the ball on the ground, don't give up a lot of home runs. And if you don't walk too many guys and you don't give up too many home runs and you get strikeouts, you're going to be real valuable in outer new points leagues. You don't really need to do anything else. Nothing else really matters. Your bat pip can hurt you a bit. Strand rate doesn't matter at all. Wins don't matter at all. So like this is a real nice way, I think, for, for players in those leagues to think about pitchers in, in a simple but, but useful way. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, when you said that, my mind kind of went to relievers because, you know, new leagues are, are just so deep and, and every reliever worth their salt is picked up, but there are still plenty of relievers who are fly under the radar. And you look at this list and you see Craig Stammen, 10th on this list ahead of Garrett Cole and Shane Bieber. And I'm yeah, gonna, I saw that. It's worth saying again, just because I just said such a ridiculous statement that this stat is not an end-all be-all. This is not me saying, well, clearly because of my scientific research, Craig Stammen is better than Garrett Cole and Shane Bieber, but it sticks out. And if Stammen's available in my odd new leagues for a buck, maybe I'm more likely to pick him up now because of these three stats. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, and I do think that there's got to be some thought on this in terms of how how you balance starters and relievers, right? Because they, they do have different expectations placed on them. And and so that that is, I think, you know, when I noticed Loisaga as number four, I was a little bit like, maybe he's, yeah, I mean, I can see it. I get it. Like you look at the numbers, you can see it. He doesn't walk very many. He's had a great ground ball rate and above average strikeout rate. Okay. So I totally get how he ends up this high. I don't think you really want him as, you don't want to think of him as the number four pitcher in baseball, even if it's arguable he's been pitching that well. Just because pitching that well out of the bullpen is not the same as you know what Framber Valdez has done right behind him or Clayton Kershaw has done right behind them. Yeah, and that could come down to you know if I continue to push this statistic, like maybe 
my relievers end up with a different sort of algorithm, if that's the correct word, sure. um, way of calculating their number than, than starting pitchers. Because obviously the league average ground ball rate for a reliever is going to be different than the league average ground ball rate for a starting pitcher. Yeah. Let's go to the other end of the spectrum. Anybody who was near the bottom who surprised you, who maybe was on your team, but now you're thinking of cutting, was a target that you're not interested in, guy you might try to trade away in the offseason because you don't believe in him. Oh man, yeah, there were a lot of names. Um, just to give the the two other names for the ones that I that stood out and that were liked, I'll just I'll just throw them out there. Shane McClanahan and Sonny Gray, they both did very well in this. I like McClanahan a lot. I like him even more now. Sonny Gray, I thought he was having this horrible season. He's really not. I think he's been a little bit unlucky. To the to the question, guys who I'm kind of fading. Well, Kyle Hendricks, I think, has been interesting all year, and it's not really like groundbreaking. And I think he kind of profiles as somebody who would do poorly for this because even though he has a low walk rate like he doesn't strike anybody out uh, but he was still somebody who i'm like oh man maybe i'll target him next year i think i'm gonna get pretty good value and i also think that you know in defense of kyle Hendricks, like part of the one of the major flaws for this statistic is that it, it does not account for exit velocity at all so you may be a pitcher like a marco gonzalez like a kyle Hendricks. well marco gonzalez what he used to be but he's pitching much better recently who it, it gets a lot of balls in the air, but it's soft. And so it doesn't matter. And, and this does not account for that, but I'm admitting that, right? Like, like I said, a thousand times, it's just, it's just a tool, but the fact that Hendricks was, was so far down there was definitely a little bit surprising. John means who I had huge expectations for after his first, you know, seven, eight, nine starts, definitely the no hitter. Then all of a sudden it comes out that he's been using a substance. And then I see that he is, oof, he is so far down on this list. John means ranks behind Nick Pavetta, Ross Stripling, Zach Thompson, Chris Flexen. He's in a spot where you don't want to be down at 134 among the pitchers that qualified for this. And then there were certainly some like aces who were shockingly low. The two that stick out are are Jack Flaherty, and and we can kind of write him off, I guess, because of sample size. And he's had a weird couple of years. I think I'm not targeting him next year in drafts for way more reasons than this random statistic. But Lucas Giolito is way down there despite an elite strikeout rate which again maybe suggests that i should be it doesn't maybe it definitely suggests i should be weighing strikeouts more and his walk rate is also really good but his ground ball rate is 34.2 and that definitely stood out to me that is that is not what i want out of my pitchers even if it's someone as good as lucas giolito so let's let's talk a little bit about flexing random guy to talk about i know but I've been really intrigued by him. He's got a 3.52 ERA this year. He's been he's got a 3.75 FIP backing that up. Only thing in his profile that gives you a little pause until this number, at least for me, was that his home run per fly ball rate is pretty low. And if you look at like XFIP, all of a sudden he's at a 4.49. It feels like, oh, maybe there's some regression coming. But he's been really good and, and fairly consistent. And he seems to do it by, he doesn't strike out a lot, but his walk rate is real low. Do you feel like he's being undervalued here because his walk rate isn't sort of counting enough? Or do you think this is actually uncovering sort of a concern that even with that low walk rate, everything else just isn't good enough? Yeah, I, I don't think the ground ball rate is is really bad. Yeah, so he's at, what, a 44.6% ground ball rate, the league average ground ball. It's actually better than league average. And, and I th- it's also worth noting, actually, not to get sidetracked, when we talk about league average, it's worth noting that like if we're talking for fantasy, it, that's not fantasy average. Like if you're right around league average, 
then you're not an average fantasy player. You are a below average fantasy player. Yeah, I mean, I, I like Flexen, and I think there's other reasons to like him that this statistic does not account for. But based on these three statistics, like, yeah, he doesn't walk people and he's got a slightly above average ground ball rate. The fact that he really doesn't strike anybody out. And I, I I'm only going to weigh strikeouts more. If I continue to tinker with this statistic, I think he's going to get pushed down further. And he's the type of pitcher that, you know, folks that have been listening to the show for a while know that I really like to target guys who don't, who don't get strikeouts. Yeah, no one does. It's never fun to get the guys who don't get strikeouts. <laughs> I guess that was, by the way, I also like hitters that hit home runs. So, hitters hit home runs and guys yeah. pitchers who get strikeouts is a good way to go. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. It's usually my strat. It's a good one. I like yeah. it. <laughs> I've actually it's interesting because I've been targeting guys like Flexen this year because it's been so hard for me to find pitching, and I feel like there's a couple guys like that who pitch really well. But this is this is you know concerning for him. I, I want to talk about a, a different pitcher. There's a couple pitchers I sort of noticed on here that I want to talk a little bit about. One of them. Your league average for this stat is 69.4. There's a guy on here at 68.4 that I was sort of shocked to see below average. And that's Lance Lynn. What are your thoughts on Lance Lynn? Well, my thoughts on Lance Lynn are, are that he's an above average pitcher and he's certainly not the 84th best pitcher in baseball. <laughs> but I, I'll stop going back to that. I think we get it by now. It's not, it's not, it's just a tool. It's just a tool. Lance Lynn throws a lot of fastballs. And there's there's no question that he is he's not a ground ball pitcher, right? Like he he balls get hit in the air off Lance Lynn. Thing is, he's he's such a good pitcher; it almost doesn't matter. I mean, he according to this this statistic, the things that I look for, like maybe this player is getting lucky in this regard. Like he does have a very low BABIP this year at two fifty five. He's a career average two ninety eight BABIP, and he's become a different pitcher over the last few years. A clearly a much better fantasy ace and so we'll grant him that but to see a 255 babbit this season with a 298 career babbit that sticks out and then you say okay well what's the fip it's 3.42 and his era is 2.59 so i think it has helped uncover like yeah this guy's great and he's awesome but there's also some maybe holes to poke in his game that that this stat has helped me kind of uncover as i use it as a tool to you know see who Maybe I should fade a little bit and who I should start buying in on. Not that I, I would fade Lance Lynn. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I was fading Lynn coming into the season. Sure. And a head-to-head keeper that's run through CBS with some guys I went to college with, some other folks, league I've been in for years. And I have in that league a, boy, I wish I could remember, like a $7 Lance Lynn. He's a $7 Lance Lynn. The prices in that league, for those of you who play auto new and are used to auto new price, it's a little different. It's a it's a $260 cap, a 25-man roster. So a $7 Lance Lynn is still like you're paying below average, right? In a price. And so I was, you know, I certainly never considered cutting him. We keep 14 in that league. And so like he was never on my block to get cut. But I tried to trade him basically all offseason. Cause I was like, someone's gonna pay for this guy like he's an ace and he's not an ace. And Nobody made like I wasn't even trying to sell high. I just was like, I want something else I could keep, and nobody was biting, and so I kept him, and I've been extremely happy with that. And of course, now he's hurt, and I've got to figure out if he's going to be around for the fantasy playoffs and all that kind of stuff. Well, you know, we'll see how that goes. But regardless, now I'm sort of looking at this number and thinking about the fact that I was fading him in the off season and wondering, am I going to sell him this off season? Am I going to try that again? And 
Am I going to fail at it again and end up keeping them at $9 next year? Probably because nobody wants to buy them from me. <laughs> yeah, it was just interesting to see him so low there because I know that his his FIP doesn't sort of back up what he's done, but it isn't bad. No. Uh, and so I was sort of surprised to see him that that far down. I think a lot. he was getting faded quite a bit because he was so, so good last year. He was a Cy Young front runner, And then his last outing, he got shelled. And then he didn't have an opportunity to to shake it off in the playoffs because obviously they didn't even sniff the playoffs. And I think it was just a lasting memory in people's minds. Plus, it's a guy who's who had a whole career of mediocrity before blossoming into an ace in what his mid thirties. So it's it's kind of a weird profile, but I, I like him. It's just yeah, the stat helped identify some potential issues. So let's go to the other end and talk about a guy I noticed in inside the top ten. And this is a guy who. You referred to him in our conversation we were having before as my guy. And yeah, I don't know if he's Chad's guy. guy. <laughs> Ranger Suarez. I, I picked him up in a couple leagues when he was relieving because he was relieving really well. And I was like, all right. They moved him to the rotation and I was getting ready to get rid of him because I was like, I got this guy to be a reliever. I don't need him in my rotation. And by the time I found replacements for him, I was like, well, he had a pretty good like three innings start in his first. Okay, now he's on like four innings. Okay, well, and now now he's on my team. So I'm just keeping him. I'm just sitting on him because he's been really good. I feel really good about it seeing this list. Yeah, he he looked really good. Obviously, a lot of that comes from the astronomical 64.7 ground ball rate. But I guess the thing that sticks out is definitely the 10% walk rate, right? Because of all the guys in the top 10, that is the highest walk rate only behind Framber Valdez, which is also a little concerning for him considering the control issues he had before his breakout last season. But for Suarez, I, I wonder because he's gone back and forth from reliever to starting pitcher, right? And 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 almost like a little bit of an opener as they they work up his his innings in, in his arm. I wonder what the walk rate is as a reliever versus what the walk rate is as a starter, right? Because as a starter, it's like, all right, I gotta kinda preserve my arsenal. I gotta serve my I gotta throw strikes, I gotta get deep into this game. Whereas relievers just come in and they start fireballing it. So I mean it's not a statistic I looked up beforehand, but it's something that I think we could we could certainly take a look at. And if that is the case where as a starter, the walk rate goes down, it might not be the case. I don't know. Then, I'm pulling it up right now, and I'm looking at his splits on fan graphs, uh, and it's it's actually the opposite. His, his strikeout rate as a reliever is 26.6%. As a starter, it's 20.7%. Huh. That goes down. You'd expect that to go down for all the reasons yep. you just said. His walk rate as a reliever is 8.9%. As a starter, it's 11.7%. So it's okay. gone up and it's gone up to the point where it was you know, better than average and now is worse than average, which is a, a little concerning. Um, I'm not... I'm sort of curious what's driving that for him. I got to go find some like plate discipline splits and see is he, you know, is he throwing fewer strikes or is it just... Is it something different? But that's, you know, you think about strikeout percent minus walk percent, which is another one of those really interesting numbers, simple numbers. It's a big change there from 17.7% as a reliever to 9% as a starter. Yeah. But his FIP as a starter is 3.01. It was 3.31 as a reliever. His XFIP was was 3.35 as a reliever, 3.94 as a starter. I, I don't know. I mean... The, the big thing that that drove him as a reliever, he kept his bat up way down as a starter. It's back up to two ninety seven, which is sort of normal ish. I don't, I don't know what to make of him yet. <laughs> the, this stat gives me another reason to sort of be intrigued and to want to 
keep him around. I don't know. He's he's there. There's a lot we don't know about him. I guess I would say. I think that's that's the fair approach because it, it, even if you know he might get five starts in September here, and even then, it's not really enough of a sample to say. I'd like to see okay with a full off season knowing he's going to be a starter, and I I don't know if that's going to be the case. This is a player that was not on my radar at all all season until you started bringing him up. Um, and I know he, he actually did pretty well in that closer role for a week or two, which was also kind of interesting. But if they do plan on making him a starter, let's see what the that ground ball rate, what that walk rate, what that strikeout rate looks like after a couple of months next season. And I think we'll have a really good idea of, of Ranger Suarez, at least in relation to this cockamamie statistic that I have here. That's, uh, that's not the best way to sell your work. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if anyone's ever talked to you about how to like get people interested in what you're doing. Hey man, well, I am, I am what you see is what you get. And I will be blatantly honest. And, and I, it's a, it's a very simple number using the, the, the way you calculate strikeout rate for crying out loud is more complicated than what, what I'm doing here. <laughs> it's just, this originally was just for me. And I said, you know what, maybe this could be an interesting conversation to talk about on the pod. That makes sense. So for, for Suarez, for what it's worth, and we'd have to dig a lot deeper to figure out what's going on with this, but his zone rate is down a little bit, but only from 40.3 to 39.7 since he moved to the rotation. His first strike rate is actually up a little bit. It's a swinging strike rate is down. It looks like guys are just making more contact on pitches outside the zone. Mm. They're chasing a little bit less, but it's it's more that when they do chase, they're more likely to make contact. That could be a pitch mix thing, like you said. It could be any number of things. It could just be the league adjusting to him, right? They only had, he threw 40.1 innings, 40 and a third in 27 games as a reliever. It's like, that's a decent amount, but it's enough for guys to start to figure you out. And then the next, you know, 26.2 that he's thrown as a starter over six starts, like those are the ones where now the league sort of knows who he is, knows what they're looking for. Maybe that's all it is. Um, but yeah, this is super intriguing to me. So any other names you want to talk about or anything else you want to mention about this stat? Yeah, I think I, I definitely want to acknowledge some of the flaws and, and I guess just, just kind of list them out so that we're, we're just being completely honest with the tool that we're working with here. First of all, I brought it up earlier and I, I used the names Kyle Hendricks and, and Marco Gonzalez, but it I, to me, exit velocity is so important and I would love to find a way to incorporate this in here. I didn't because I think in a lot of cases, exit velocity is kind of out of most pitchers' hands. Like for most pitchers, it's not really up to them the quality of contact. For some guys, it is. And so I think those guys kind of get the short end of the stick because it's not really accounted for here. Another kind of, I guess, flaw with this is well, we acknowledged how it overvalues ground ball percentage, but it probably doesn't punish players with a poor walk percentage enough. Walks kill like it, it it's cliche but it's it's one of the cliches in baseball one of the few like old mantras in baseball that actually holds up and if you're walking everybody don't really care what your strikeout rate is don't really care what your ground ball percentage is i don't want anything to do with you and and, and to end kind of any list that has lucas giolito and lance lynn down so far obviously has some major flaws so those aren't really names i guess but even though a few came up i think we just got to be honest about what the flaws are so what's your next step with this I think my next step is finding the way to properly weight the walk percentage, the walk rate and the strikeout rate. This is kind of beyond my 
grasp and, and I don't want to make it too complicated because then I've lost what I was trying to do here by just, these are the stats I use and I use these at face value. So why do I want to make them more complicated when I'm perfectly comfortable using them at face value? But at the same time, if I could properly weigh them against each other a little bit better, I think that's the direction I would want to take it in. I guess one name, Chad, as I'm just looking at the list that I loved him going into the season. I'm sure I talked about him on the pod a couple of times. Ian Anderson. Ian Anderson's got a 23.1 strikeout rate right now. That was much better in the minor leagues. I mean, we're talking north of 27%, probably a little bit higher in the minor leagues. And he's always performed well with ground balls. So that tells me, okay, you know, I look at Ian Anderson and I think that ground ball rate is legit. I think there's growth in the strikeout rate. And even though walks have been a problem for him, he's a young pitcher. Maybe he's able to get that down a little bit, like so many talented young pitchers are able to do. And so I look at a guy who could make growth in all three of these, or at least maintain the elite one that he has and make growth in the other two. That's a name that I'm, I'm definitely intrigued by. Unfortunately, a lot of people are intrigued by Ian Anderson. So I don't think I'm about to go like slam dunk, get him in every league, but he's somebody who has not performed too great this year and and dealt with injuries hasn't gone too deep into a lot of his starts maybe you can buy low and, and according to this statistic i think he could be a, a pretty good value very cool yeah I'm a, I'm a big ian anderson fan so i i can totally totally see that that makes a ton of sense so with that uh do you have an auto new question of the day for me well i have an auto new statement to start i am in another auto new league Nice. Yeah. While you were away, I uh, Mark McRoy uh, in, invited me into a. It's it's a standard Fangraphs roto, but the fact that it's still like Fangraphs salary and 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 everything else still you know makes it unique and, and awesome. It's a. I is think it, it's is a it five by five. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a it's old you know five old by five. Old, yeah. Regular roto. Nice. Is that it's is a, this the, the pitcherless staff league? Yeah, pitcherless out new league. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. They they started that last year, and Mark was sort of running it, and he's been writing about it and stuff. And it's a it's a good league. That should be a fun one. Yeah, it's got some good values too. I, I'm guessing I took it over from Mikey Ahedo because it was loaded with with Mariners. But I've made <laughs> I've made some moves here and there. I, I got a three dollar Riley Green. So. Basically, because this is Roto five by five, and and you're way more versed in in Otnew than I am, obviously. That's why we go to you with the Otnew question of the day. To me, I'm looking at this. I'm thinking like it's a 12 team Roto dynasty. Like, yeah, the salaries come into play, and they're deeper rosters, and so on and so forth. But at the end of the day, it's 12 team Roto dynasty. Like, I should be in it every year as long as I'm I'm active and checking my team and so on and so forth. So, uh, in this particular format, because I'm sure you've played in this, do you? I mean, Riley Green, I guess, isn't a great example because I'm pretty sure he's going to be up pretty early next year. But like, what about like Cade Cavalli? Like, these are some of the names that I, I was able to stash on here. Um, Aaron Ashby is already up, so I guess he doesn't hold up. But prospects in a, to me, for some reason, like this league is even shallower because I understand the format better, if that makes sense. Like, I can, I can, I can process it better and I can game plan better because I've been playing this format for 15 years. Whereas I'm still, I'm not still getting used to it, but I was at the at the beginning getting used to the odd new points. So, do you view prospects any differently in this kind of format, or is it just kind of the same thing? The downside with prospects in in any auto new league is that they get expensive quickly, or they can right. Like if you have, you know, whoever had Wander Franco last year probably already had arbitration dollars put against him last off season. And he's only going to get more expensive this offseason. And so you're playing a little bit of a risky game in that they 
let's, let's use a, let's use another example. The other guy you could have had was Jared Kelnick, right? So Kelnick, if you had him going into last offseason, also probably got a little bit of money, maybe a little less, but might have gotten some money in arbitration hitting him. Uh, and now hasn't really performed for you. And now you've got, I don't know what's going to happen with him this offseason. Some people may still think of him as, you know, this elite prospect and put arbitration dollars against him. Some people might decide they're going to cut him. Like, I, it'll be interesting to see what happens. But the the challenge with prospects is you you often end up in one of two situations. Either you have the guy for his first season and it's not that good and it doesn't help you that much and you're left with a difficult decision in the offseason of is this guy just still developing or is he a bust? Or he blows up, he's great. Maybe it takes it like Franco's almost the worst of both worlds where like it took him a little while to warm up, but once he did, he's been excellent. And so now like he maybe didn't do enough to help you this year, but he definitely is doing enough to you know, make him expensive next season and you'll get to keep him, <laughs> but you're going to keep him at a high price and you're going to have to decide if that price is worth it. Uh, and so from that perspective, it's very different from dynasty where if you grab a, you know, a super interesting high ceiling, a ball prospect in a dynasty league and he pops, you got him for a decade and it's great. Whereas in auto new, you could keep the guy for a decade, but it's only because he manages to perform. Like whoever whoever had Tatis as a or Acuna or Soto as a prospect, like those guys, they might keep for a decade, but only because they're going to pay full price for them for the next seven years, which is great and they're worth it and that's fantastic. But you have to be willing to pay full price. You don't get the benefit of having them for. 60 cents on the dollar forever or for free forever like you do in a dynasty league. So because of that, I need a little bit more. I don't know what the right word is. I like guys who are closer and I also like guys who I am more confident in. And so I want to really believe in a guy's upside and the believe in the fact that he's going to produce. That's, yeah, that's just sort of that's a bigger focus for me. So I'm much less likely to go after guys who are still in A ball. I'm much less likely to go for guys who are high risk, either because they're in A ball or for other reasons. Other than that, I mean, I'm looking at the same skills, right? If it's a five by five, you're still looking at the same skills in an auto new five by five as you are in any other five by five. It's just how those skills come together, when they come together, how far away they are, how confident you are that they're gonna hit that that I think I'm just not as willing to gamble. I think from the sounds of things, what makes it so hard is that so a lot of, a lot of prospects do pan out and they become good major league baseball players, but they don't become Acuna junior. They don't become Soto. And so you end up paying kind of like, like it, you almost never get a bargain on them. Like they become solid MLB players, but you, for, since their rookie season, you've been paying eight bucks for them. And it's like, well, now all of a sudden, I'm I, if it's if it's $2 added on every year, before I know it, I'm going to be paying too much for this guy. He needs to be 26 years old. Yeah, I think that's for sure true. And I think it's it's part of the reason, like, I'd rather, I'd almost rather gamble on a guy who is breaking out in MLB right now, unexpectedly or something like that, right? And, and 
one of the advantages, there's a couple of advantages of that, but one of the advantages of that is if they do get super expensive in the off season and you say, forget it, like people put way too much arbitration on this guy, he's not worth that. You've gotten value from it. Sure. Right. So like trying to think of a good example this year, maybe Akil Badu is a good example this year where like, it wasn't like people were out there touting him forever. There were people who were in on him, obviously, like he wasn't unheard of, but he wasn't he wasn't Kelnick. He wasn't Franco. And you could get him cheap. And if he gets super expensive for you this offseason and you decide to cut him, he was really useful for you this year. And that's great. Whereas someone like Franco has been useful for you lately, but for a lot of the year did nothing for you. And so if he gets expensive and you end up in a tough situation or you keep him because I think he's not going to get so expensive that most people are going to cut him, most are going to keep him. You're just you're just not get necessarily going to get the same benefit. So, and that's not to say, by the way, that last year I wouldn't have been thrilled to have a cheap Wander Franco, right? Sure. Like that, that'd be great. So I don't want to, I don't want to steer people the wrong way. Like those elite prospects, when they're getting close, are super valuable, and when they do break out, they they can make they can make your season. So I like to have those guys. I'm thrilled to have those guys. I like guys who I think are going to get called up this year. If I'm rebuilding, I like guys who are going to get called up next year. I just don't want guys who are much further away than that. And I want guys who I am who I am confident for whatever reason are going to be valuable. That's interesting. I mean, I, I think I want to compare two players that have absolutely nothing in common. And I think, you know, let's say you had a $4 Jaron Duran. Well, he's not doing anything right. He had a game winning hit today, which is great, but he, he, he can't do anything. I mean, he, he's striking out at an astronomical rate. He's he's never walking and he's horrible in the field. Like he he looks like a disaster. I'm not trying to be all doom and gloom. I I, I still have hope for the kid. It's been like he's 24 and it's been like sure. 90 plate appearances or whatever it's been. But if I have a four dollar Janoran, I, I might still view that as like cheap. But if it's between him and a one dollar Joe Ryan, who I I do have in our Ot new league, where you know it's it's only one outing and it's against one of the worst lineups I've ever seen in my life. That Cubs lineup is just it, it just horrible. He 14 swings and misses and 89 pitches. And, and other than, you know, one, I believe it was just one bad inning. He was, he was pretty good. And so like Jaron Duran has, I think way more upside than Joe Ryan and, and, and $4 is a cheap price. But if it's going to take Jaron Duran a few years to become a competent MLB player. And by the time he does, I'm going to be paying 10 bucks for him or eight bucks for him. I think I'd rather just have the $3, the $5 Joe Ryan. Yeah, I think that's totally fair and i think it's a question of with you know with with ryan it's a question of what you believe his upside is with duran it's probably more a question of when you think he might reach that upside um the intriguing thing to me about duran is we've seen him make adjustments they were in the minor leagues sure. but we've seen him actually grow and develop and so there is a sense that like okay well he's done this in the minors so he can do it in the majors he's capable of figuring out what's not working and improving it but um yeah, I mean, if you if your if your guess on Duran is like next year he's not going to have a full time job, he's going to be sort of up and down again. He's going to be developing and getting better, and maybe by the end of the year he really steps in and has a job and is a decent but not great player. And that the year after that he's going to be a full time starter and a solid player, and he's not going to break out till the year after that. Well, then you got to decide like how much you're willing to pay for that breakout, or are you are you willing to pay anything for it? Because if you've got him at $4 now, 
you got to decide if you're keeping him next year for $6. And if you think next year he's going to be up and down between AAA and the majors and sort of a mediocre player, do you want that on your roster for 6 bucks for a whole year in the hopes that he's worth $8 the year after and breaks out and is worth way more than 10 the year after that? I don't know. That's a tough call. And that it's especially tough because of, of what you just said, because you're hoping that he eventually like really breaks out and is worth way more than $10 when the most likely outcome for any of these players is that like either they completely fizzle out or they just become a, a good MLB player. And so now you have a Jaron Duran for $10. That's only worth $10. You're getting your money, but you spent two to three years wasting roster space on a, on a player who's just meeting their price. Yeah. And it's, it's one of the reasons I also like, I like to find guys who are a little bit off hype. And so like one of the prospects, and it it looked really great for a while and has not looked really great lately for me this year. But one of the guys I was really high on going into the season was Trevor Larnock with the Twins. And I had read enough reports on him that especially in on-base leagues, he's got great on-base skills. He's got excellent, excellent power. There are multiple prospect people out there who I, who I read who felt that he is a like comparing him to Karoloff, who had a lot more hype, that Larnock was going to have the better on-base percentage and more power. Well, if I'm playing in an OBP league, Karoloff's not doing anything else for me. <laughs> so so I was really high on him. And part of it was I felt like if he doesn't become a star, if he just turns into a solid major league outfielder, there he doesn't have enough hype around him for people to be throwing a bunch of arbitration dollars at him. There just wasn't going to be that excitement around him the way there would be with, you know, if Kelnick had a solid season, if Karoloff had a solid season, those guys were going to attract a ton of money in arbitration. So everyone would be like, oh, they're solid now, but they're going to be a $40 player next year. So let's get them up to 25. And then you got to be like, okay, this guy's a solid $15 dude in auto new, but like, is he going to get to 40? Because if he does, then this 25 is worth it. And if not, I'll be burning money. Larnock. I didn't have to worry about whether he was going to get to that 40 because nobody was going to push him to 25. Now, I've ended up the opposite problem with Larnock, which is he started off so well, and then he got ice cold, and he's been really bad, and he has not bounced back, and now he's back in the minors. And so, I don't know, maybe I'm going to end up cutting him at much lower prices anyways. I have to decide what to do because I'm still pretty high on him. But I like guys like that who I feel like have a ton of potential and could be really solid players and they don't have to become stars because even if they're not stars, they'll be worth keeping. Whereas there's a, there's an aspect to me, a sense for me that like if Kelnick isn't a star pretty soon, he's just not going to be worth it. Not a new because he's going to keep getting priced up too high in, in arbitration or in bidding or wherever it is. So that answer your, your question about prospects. Yeah, we, we we do always seem to, to end up back on prospects, but it, because my team that I've had all year has been kind of out of it, um, you know, obviously I've been I've been looking there. So I, I, I apologize to the folks at home if it's like, oh man, they're doing prospects again. But I, it, this is this is where my teams are at. You know, it's a one dollar Joe Ryan and, and seeing how he does. Real quick, just on on Duran because I feel like I was really hard on him. Part of that is because this is great Twitter account. For Red Sox fans, it's called Red Sox Stats. I don't know who runs it, but it's a phenomenal account. And he posted, or she, uh, posted three different pictures of Duran from like three straight games where he's so lost at the plate that he's changing his his hand placement and his leg kick by the day. Like he's just trying something new, which for a team that's in contention is just a joke. 
but they're dealing with COVID and all sorts of other stuff. So they kind of have to play him, but either way, that, that's why I, I, I came across so hard on him. I, I hope he's still going to be good, but he has given us no reason to be, to be excited in, in any major league sense. Yeah, not yet. I still think there's a lot of a lot of potential there. I'm still really intrigued by him. I'm I'm curious to see what he does in the offseason because I think he's I my my sense is that he is capable of making those adjustments like we talked about before. And I'm just very interested to see like outside the heat of a pennant race, outside the season going on, when he gets a chance to step back and look at what happened this year. What does he do with it? And how does he show up to spring training next year? Because I think that's going to be a really telling a really telling question for his career. So let me then tack on a, a final lot new question of the day. Chad, let's say right now you have a $2 Jan Duran. Correct me if I'm wrong. He's at least going up to $4. He's kind of like met that. Yeah, because he's a major league player. Yeah, anybody who's played in a major league game goes up $2. Anyone who has not played in a major league game goes up $1. So let's hypothetically say J.D. Martinez opts in. And Kyle Schwarber gets signed back, which I, I really does hope happen. No offense to Jandran. I have high hopes for him, like I said. If that all happens, are you holding on to a $4 Jandran or are you letting him go to auction? I don't know. I haven't really looked. I'm not sure I've looked closely enough at what he's done this year to have a good bet on what I think he's going to do next year. Sure. I still think there's like a solid 10 to $15 outfielder in there. Man, I mean, if they bring back Schwarber and Martinez, they've still got Verdugo. Martinez is still, you know, could DH. Schwarber could DH. Renfro has been incredible. Renfro has been really good. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think if he's at $4 and doesn't get arbitration, and the sad thing is you'll have to make this decision in January, which means you won't know what happens at spring training or anything uh, yet. That's a good so point. Have, that's a good you'll point. You'll have no information to go on besides what we do today. I think... I would end up, I think it would depend on my team, yeah. I, I guess, which is sort of a cop-out answer. But if it's I had a team true. that was, that I thought could compete next year, that I needed the money to get, you know, the extra last couple pieces to put me over the top, I would cut him. If I had a team that I wasn't really sure could compete and I wanted future upside, um, or I had a team that was so deep in the outfield that having him rotting on my bench wouldn't be the worst thing in the world because I could handle it. You know, I, I guess I would say I would view him as any other prospect, right? And so, yeah, I don't know. That's It's a tough call. It's a really difficult decision. It's, it is the decision I'm talking about with, when I talk about Larnock, right? It's like, right. I like Larnock more than Duran, but he really struggled at times this year, and I am not really sure what to do with him. And uh, we'll, we'll have more thoughts on this in the offseason. We should come back to this in the offseason when we've had a chance to sort of see the final product. I'll make a note. Have some conversation about some of these guys. All right. Well, I answered two auto new questions. So that's, that <laughs> seems like we're at the end. Thanks, Pete, for telling us all about this new stat you put together. Really interesting stuff. Um, a lot of names came up that I think people will be interested to hear where they landed. And, and, and I hope they, I hope people enjoyed it. I hope people are interested in it. If you have questions about it, hit Pete up on Twitter at Pete B Baseball. You could also ask me questions at Chad Young, but I can't answer them because it's not my thing. You can follow us combined at Keep or Cut, Cut with a K. Don't forget to subscribe, leave us ratings and reviews. Uh, it really makes a big difference in helping us grow the audience for the show. And uh, we hope to hear from you soon, and we will be talking to you next week. <laughs>